Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator, entrepreneur, and podcast producer extraordinaire, Anya Marcos. You may not know who she is, but if you've been working or trying to work in the applied arts, chances are excellent that Anya has helped you in some way. Among other topics, she shares how she's helped the illustration and animation community over the years. We talk about living and working as an artist in Portugal in the time of COVID-19. We trade war stories from the front lines of podcasting, and Anya and I try to destigmatize failure. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Um, you know what's interesting about about all of this is when you when you and I first started talking about me putting together this podcast, and we re- I re- reached out to you and asked for all the advice. One of the things you were talking about was like sound sound levels, and it's still something that bothers the heck out of me because I don't quite I can't quite like maneuver the the buttons enough to get it to exactly where I where I want it to to be and sometimes I'll 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 do a recording and the sound will be exactly how I want it I'll get all the settings I'll write the settings down I'll do the settings again for the next interview and it's different it's just different it just sounds different I'm like damn it that's that isn't how it sounded last time what is going on the dark magic of technology, my friend. Oh, it's so frustrating. Every time Skype says, we have a new update, I'm like, oh, yeah. all my sound stuff is completely messed up right. again. Wonderful. Exactly. Exactly. Like, um, So I use Call Recorder to record. And right now, your output, like the output, so you are at an 82. I mm-hmm. set you at an 82. And in other conversations, that's just fine. And some other conversations it isn't and i don't know i think what it is is i just don't have a controlled environment you know i record i don't record in a, in a professional room i don't have the person here in front of me so i'm just gonna have to be okay with with it yeah and and sometimes it's not just a controlled environment it's even little aspects of technology that change right. that normal people don't notice but when you're hearing everything and when you're used to a certain level it's just yeah all over the place. Right. I also have um, birds have have nested here just right outside my window. And so before, just today, this morning, 10 minutes before you and I got on, I went outside with uh, like a little ball and I just started bouncing the ball around in that area to get the birds to fly away. I know they're coming. I can actually hear them. They're back. But well, you per- maybe, maybe you don't hear them. I don't know. I don't hear them, but I do have a neighbor who, because of the quarantine, decided he wants to remodel his own, the whole apartment. Nice. And since yesterday, he's been doing, I don't know what, but it's extremely loud. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, stopped before the call, but I don't think bouncing a ball to his window will make him stop <laughs> doing remodeling. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, another thing too, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh, when we talk about some podcast war stories, but um, people don't follow directions as as much as i'd like them to sometimes so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll email a guest and say hey you know thanks for 
accepting and thanks for being wanting to be on the podcast. This is great. Here's a one sheet that I try to keep as simple as humanly possible. Like hopefully like a first grader could understand it. And one of the things is you have to wear headphones. You just have to wear headphones and ideally have some kind of mic. So Apple ear pods are, are great because it's two in one and most people have them. And yet every time, not every time, but most times I'll, I'll start a conversation before I hit record. That will be the one, one of the first things I ask. Hey, do you have headphones? Oh, do I need them? People will, they just give up. They don't. <laughs> so what I do is the most important thing. I just put that on the email instead of expecting them to open the sheet because nine times out of ten, they never do. Yeah. Or I say something that is in the sheet, but I don't say what it is. So they get curious and then they have to open the sheet. That usually does the trick. Mm-hmm. It's not just the headphones. It's the... You know, have you ever interviewed someone who wouldn't just stop tapping on the freaking desk oh, all yeah. the time? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. I had one person who, and and I couldn't, I, did, I just didn't have the heart to pause and tell them to stop doing it. But they... You can't. Would, they would just, just like just keep hitting their table. You know, they were like, and then I went and I told that person that this, and then I went like that. And I was just like, all right, I guess that's just going to be part of it. It is. It, it, you, you, what can you do? It's so hard to navigate that because then they become self-conscious, then they don't yeah, relax, and the exactly. story does not come out, and it's even worse, and the whole interview is ruined because that's how they communicate. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Oh, I have so many horror stories. All right, let's get let's get to that in a sec. So before we get to that, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, this is gonna be like a five-hour uh, interview. That's fine. Um, yeah, five-hour interview, won't... four hours rent. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Easily, easily, (laughs) easily. So before we get to that, though, um, I was doing a little research on you and I, you know, I could be wrong here, very easily be wrong here, but is this your first podcast interview? Yeah, I, that someone is interviewing me. Yes. I mean, I was interviewed for a YouTube channel once. Okay. But not for a podcast. I mean, I was part of podcasts for the Oatly Academy, what I previously worked. Right. I was kind of interviewed and interviewing at the same time or sharing content content alongside the team. But a solo interview, yeah. This is my first, very first interview. I'm a little surprised to hear that. Because how many podcasts do you think you've had a hand in in terms of like producing and organizing mm. and facilitating all of that? So I, Countless. I can, yeah, many, many podcasts. So yours, I helped you with yours. I helped, I helped um, Stephen Silver with his podcast when he was converting his Monday Art Talk to a podcast. And then for the Oatly Academy, just the school itself, we had several podcasts there. Mm-hmm. And then I also helped some students that were from the Academy or some friends who were starting a podcast. So yeah, I have no idea how many. <laughs> well, again, we'll get to that. Um, Are you from Portugal originally? Yeah. Born and raised. Same town or moving around? Same town. It's a very Portuguese thing to do. You don't move around a lot unless you go study somewhere else. Mm -hmm. What were you doing when you were younger, before art school? Mm. I was already in love with art when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. My mother really helped me develop the taste I had 
I have for art because she was very artsy. She was a very artsy person and a very sportsy person. And I do have an older sister. And it, it was interesting because my mom is always telling this story. She's like, I would love for one of you girls to be a doctor. But one followed her passion on sports and the other followed art. And I loved art and sports when I was a kid. So it kind of went half half for my daughter. So, okay, none of you are a doctor, but I'm fine with it. Um, approved. Uh-huh. Uh, so that that was a thing. So yeah, I loved drawing and painting and just playing with color when I was a kid mm-hmm. a lot. And when I was five or six years old, I started horse riding. I spent my whole days there, the full weekends. I went to competitions. I spent my afternoons after school there. And when I was not riding horses, I was just drawing them all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And as a kid and as a human being because we all share this uh, feeling I believe people would praise my drawings a lot well of course six year old kid drawing horses so cute let's praise her and uh, that would make me feel super happy so I just kept on drawing mm-hmm. so that just kept on developing and developing until high school came and in Portugal you have to choose a field to study when you go to high school science or literature or art and I went for arts mm-hmm. And then after high school, I took a graphic design course in university because in my mind, that was the only possible thing I could do. Like a lot of artists, I had no idea what other possibilities or career choices were there, especially in Portugal where there's not a lot of jobs. And yeah, and and the rest is, is not history, but it kind of mutated from there. Where did you go to school? So I kind of never left my hometown because, uh, and I hope this makes sense. So uh, when I was growing up, so my, my family was not wealthy, but we were, we were good. So that's why I could do horse riding. It's not a thing everybody can do. Mm-hmm. But then my parents got divorced when I was like seven or eight. And that completely wrecked the finances. And I had to drop horse riding around the age of nine-ish. Mm-hmm. It's a blur because I was so young, but around that age. That meant growing up, the finances never went up. So I always studied at my hometown. And then I went to university in a neighboring town because it it was the closest university we had. Right. So I never actually left my comfort bubble Mm -hmm. because I just couldn't afford going anywhere else. But it worked out. So, yeah. What degree did you earn from school? Um, it's called communication design mm-hmm. and they call it communication design because it en- encompasses a lot of design skills like graphic design, editorial design, web design. So anything that is geared towards communication and is visual mm-hmm. is part of that uh, degree. So that's the graduation I got and I graduated. I finished school. So in, in Europe at that time when I started university, I was 18 And a new law had just passed back then that made the courses much, much shorter. So I finished my degree within three years. Mm -hmm. So at the age 20, yeah, I was 20 when I finished my my university. What year was that? 20, wait, so I got in 2008. Yeah, 2011. Wow, you're considerably younger than I thought you would be. Yeah, I'm 29 now. Holy mackerel. <laughs> I'm surprised by that. 
I guess because of everything you've done since then, since school. So what was your first, so, okay, all right. So you've graduated from college, you have a communications degree and what were your like first steps as, as a professional creative? I mean, what were you looking for? What were you doing? While I was still studying, because I did horse riding, and this is why I picked up that thread a while ago, everybody at the horse riding club or most people were from the UK and everybody was speaking English. And I absolutely adore talking with people. And it was killing me that I couldn't understand what the hell everybody was saying. So I kind of started learning, but then of course I got much better at school because we do have English. At the time I was, you know, they, they teach English after you're 10 years old. Now it's earlier. And, um, is it mandatory? Yes, it is. Uh, almost everybody in Portugal speaks English, at least my age right. and younger. They, they, they do. Yeah. And when, you know, when I was six, the game, the Pokemon game came out. And that has been my number one passion ever since I was a kid. <laughs> and it was in English and I wanted to play. That's so incredible. I had to learn English. Yeah. Pokemon made me learn. Pokemon and my very curious spirit of wanting to meddle in everybody's business but mine uh, made me learn English. And um, I always try to hone that skill even in college. I tried to learn more specific English vocabulary that was more relevant to my profession mm-hmm. or profession to be. Learning other languages was always something that I considered very important because growing up in Portugal, such a small country, I figured if I didn't speak other languages, I wouldn't really get really far. What, what kind of jobs were you looking for after school? I, so I still had no clue what I could do, what was a job and what I was capable of. The thing is, growing with my family back then, my parents' generation, it was common for someone to get a job, get very, very good at it, and stay at it for 20, 30, 40 years of their whole lifetime. Uh-huh. You know, yep. that's the thing. That's the way people do things. They go to school, study a craft, graduate, and then do it for the rest of their lives, eventually get promoted and retire. So in my head, at the time, that's what I thought would happen to me. Me too. I was so happy when I realized that's not how it works. <laughs> I think I would be bored to death. I'm still, um, I'm still struggling with that. I'm still, to be honest, if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, I think it's an ongoing struggle because that means there's job security is an illusion. Because that's what you're told the whole time. Job security is the thing. And turns out that's that's not even real. And it's like you're walking on a glass bridge. You look down and there's no bridge at all, but you're still walking. So yeah. it, it's something that really dawned upon me um, a couple of years ago. And... Um, yeah, sometimes I have to, I struggle a little bit with that, but then I realize I wouldn't be happy otherwise. Right. So it's a dance. And when I graduated, as I was graduating, I did an internship that was part of my um, course, my design course. And uh, it was with a couple of teachers that went to, they were teaching at Bauhaus in Germany. Mm-hmm. And during that year, they came, they came to Portugal, to the city that my college is uh, based on they were looking for a couple of interns for the internship and I applied and I got in and it was really interesting because working there, I realized that what I loved the most about graphic design was actually creative problem solving and talking with people, Mm -hmm. not as much the design process. 
which was a surprise to me because um, I, I had never realized how much communication and being involved with other people made me so happy. Yeah. That, that was quite something. That was a huge discovery. And we were working with artisans. It was a project that was basically grabbing elderly people, artisans who were masters at their craft, like uh, molding clay and building baskets and stuff like that. And we were giving them a new way of doing things, like preserving their craft, but with a new design appeal and rebranding the whole thing so they could bring that old job back to life and make more profit out of it. Uh So we were also doing some kind of counseling with marketing and such. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot of communication skills. My English improved because, you know, people who were mentoring me spoke English. Um, I learned a lot of photography. It was, it was really interesting. After that, I decided to open my own company with my boyfriend at the time, mm-hmm. who now is my husband. We've been together for almost half my life now. We started a company. He's a software engineer. And he loves coding. So he did the coding and I did the graphic design part. More focused on websites and um, identity. Mm-hmm. We did that for like three years-ish. And I got extremely bored because corporate work is not the right fit for me. Why not? There are too many rules. You're dealing with companies. They have a specific way they like to talk. It's very business, business. I have a friend. We're always making fun of this, like business, business, business. It's business talk. (laughs) It's not real people talk. You cannot be real and human. I mean, sure, some companies you can, and I discovered that later on. But we were working with our economy here, and the clients were from here. Mm. And the kind of stuff I wanted to do was not yet accepted here. So I had to do jobs in, that I was not proud of in a visual sense or I couldn't do as much as I wanted because there was not the budget. And it became really boring really fast. And that's when I started wanting to learn how to do digital painting because I had no idea what that was and what can, could be achieved with it mm-hmm. and got back to drawing because I love drawing, but I stopped when I got into university. And I realized my mistake, like, what am I doing? Drawing always made me so happy. Why did I stop? Right. So I got back to drawing and I started learning digital painting at the Oatly Academy back then. And this was uh, 20, 2013-ish, something along those lines. And that's how I met Chris. And that's how I started doing digital painting. And my husband and I, at the time, still boyfriend, he really wanted to code for games and I wanted to do the art for games, or so I thought at the time. So I wanted to learn how to do digital painting so I could do the art for the game he was developing and we could just launch our own game and just see where that would take us. Well, it didn't take us anywhere. We didn't launch any game. (laughs) (laughs) Game over. Yeah, game over after after a year of trying. Well, it was good. I learned a lot of I yeah. learned a lot during the process, and I realized game development was not something I liked, <laughs> which is great. Sometimes you only learn what you like or don't like when you try it. For sure, surprise, surprise. Oh my gosh, all yeah. the time. I say that all the time. I mean, it's like uh, you you kind of have to sort of fail forward. Mm-hmm. Exactly, failing yeah. forward. Mm-hmm. How would you know if you don't try it? Yeah, it's you know what it is. It's like the act of failing or the act of doing something and it doesn't work out um, is actually a really productive, healthy thing. You try it, you 
don't, it doesn't work out, but you learn a great deal from that. You know, everyone, it's the old adage, you know, failure, failure is the great teacher. Um, it's the word that I think people are, I, I am scared of like the word failure, you know, there, there just needs I... to be a different word for that. I, I could go on a rent for hours about that. It's my, one of my favorite topics. I wrote so many blog posts about it on my website. Yeah, it's the connotation that the word has that we give it. It's yeah. like when we're growing up and you do something wrong, it's like you failed. You fail. yeah. Game over. Pass or fail, yeah. And it's just not true. You don't achieve success if you don't fail. It's impossible. Right. You have to fail until you get to the place you want to get. Exactly right. Otherwise, it's just, it's, it's part of the process. You cannot discard it. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And we just have to learn to embrace it and just dance with it and move along until we finally get something we liked. And then uh, it's like finishing a book and you start another one. That's right. How long was it until he or you decided that you'd be more than just a student, but you would actually help the, help the academy out doing, doing the podcast or doing other things? What, what exactly were you doing? It was pretty gradual at the time. So I joined at the very beginning mm -hmm. and um, gradually from there, I became like a forum moderator and then he launched the first mentorship at the time it was with Sarah Marino mm -hmm. and he asked if I would be available to basically assist Sarah. I could sit on the classes for free and I would get paid for it. That, that, that was awesome. So I immediately said yes, and Sarah was great to work with, and I learned a great deal from her. Mm -hmm. And after that, I started working part-time for the school. So maybe I started working there in 2014. And uh, yeah, I stayed until 2018. And my job started first from being his kind of assistant. So I was uh, handling his schedule and seeing how he was planning classes and how his process was and I was observing a lot he gradually started to give me more responsibilities like would you like to uh, look at the raw recordings I have for this class and just see what's missing what does not make sense then outline lessons um, take care of the community so I had several different jobs within the time frame I worked at the school and I learned a lot while I was there because I, I'm the kind of person that learns by doing mm, and too. I'm not afraid to just be thrown into the deep end and just figuring things out. And that's how I've always done things. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm the same way, except, um, I, I don't want to be thrown into the deep end. I will kick and scream, um, while someone is lifting me up and about to throw me into the deep end. I will <laughs> just bitch and moan. And then once I'm in the deep end, I'm like, Oh, this is actually kind of nice. Yeah, I think I have a masochist thing inside of me and I just jump in. I'm trying, and, to, get, I'm trying uh, to get to that point. I just, I just can't. I'm it's not healthy. Yeah. It's not, don't do that, Giuseppe. It's not healthy. And uh, I just jump in and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm sure you can't get any worse than this. So I just... <laughs> That's a good perspective. So we met then. Oh, so, you're, so you're doing all this stuff for Oatly Academy and I end up, it's my first podcast interview with <laughs> Shauna mm -hmm. and you were kind of like the CC behind the scenes kind of, <laughs> yeah you know it's like uh back and forth emails and uh there's 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 this name Anya Marcos I'm like who's this person but like we kind of like 
you're sort of facilitating it. I don't remember when that was, 2015, maybe 16, something like that. I, I kind of think back on that time and it was an hour and a half long and God bless Shauna because she's amazing. She's amazing. I love that girl so much. She just really indulged me like a little too much, a little too much. I just went ranting and on and on and on. Oh, it was stuff. great. I remember I loved listening to the interview because so Shauna at the time, Shauna Tenney, she was uh, hosting Stories Unbound, which the Kid Lit podcast we had. And she did a lot by herself. She mm-hmm. was wonderful. She she prepared all the interviews by herself, all the questions she wanted to ask herself. She knew exactly what she was getting into and what kind of information she wanted out of each interview. She's a total pro. Yeah, I only intervene in your uh, interview after it was recorded and at the time it was not as much as it was n- closer to the end that I was helping her more because mm-hmm. some people were not working there anymore but um, I loved the interview I had to listen to it because I, I I was managing the pipeline of all the podcasts and I was helping with quality control and I was helping with the copywriting and just making sure the copy would reflect the the content of the interview as it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Shauna was doing a lot of that by herself, I was just there to help her. And yeah. yeah, what I did a lot of the time, maybe that's why no one interviews me, Giuseppe. It's because I did a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Well, there I was. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I was, I was just making sure things would be, done yeah in time smoothly and you know when things are working no one knows why it's working unless <laughs> they disappear and everything fails and yeah. then what, oh. what's wrong you don't know yeah, yeah yeah you know i was thinking about this um before we got on i was thinking about all the behind the scenes stuff you've done over the years for illustration and even if people aren't familiar with your name i kind of I kind of think that it's true to say that your your effort in some way, shape, or form has reached a majority of the illustration community. Thank you. I noticed that a little bit. It 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 was it was life saving at the time for me. I noticed that a little bit when I when I left my job at the Oatly Academy and then I started working with Stephen Silver and then also Etcher Lab. Mm-hmm. The newsletter from Etcher Lab had my name on it. So it would be, you know, Etcher newsletter from Anya mm-hmm. and uh, Stephen Silver's emails. Uh, I wrote them and I created the newsletter. Yeah. And several times I had a lot of messages over social media in emails of people saying, oh, my God, I saw your name at the Oatly Academy School. Then I saw your name, in the Etcher newsletter. And then I heard Stephen Silver say you're, you're like everywhere. Yeah. This is so sweet. True. <laughs> Thank you. Totally true. So a year ago, I, well, more than that. So back in January of 2018, Hmm. I was in a particularly dark place in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the first month of of what has continued to be a, um, a life with depression. But there were two decisions that I, two big decisions that I made that month. One was to stick around and the other was to start a podcast and it was at the recommendation of my wife you know she was like you know maybe starting a podcast would be would be a good idea i don't talk to you about this until what june may or june 
of yeah, 2019. Yeah, that's when I quit. No, not 19, 18 still. You were just like, yeah, I'll help you. What do you want? What do you need? Well, I need to know literally everything about podcasting. Yeah, no problem. Here you go. This, this, and this. <laughs> it, it helped. I, I procrastinated a hell of a lot longer from that point, eventually launching it in July of last year. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about podcast war stories. Oh, so I remember when I conducted my first solo interview. I was interviewing someone else for the school. It was Darren Yao at the time that he was launching his first bag called The Nomad. That was before Etcher Lab was created. So just super quick context, uh, Darren Yao created this really awesome bag for artists so they could draw anywhere, standing, walking. And then after that, he launched the Kickstarter and then he created a company with two other guys the co-founders of Etrelap. And back then, I was interviewing Darren by myself. And he was in Australia. And I was doing the interview all alone. It was the, my very first interview that I was all by myself. Mm-hmm. And it was 5 a.m. in the morning for me because of the time zone difference. Mm-hmm. And I was calling him. And Darren went to the library so his son would not, and his neighbors would not, like the sound would not get in the way, and he had a better connection. And the internet was not working. Mm. And I was supposed to record everything. And his connection was terrible. And I remember started panicking. Like, oh my God, this is the very first interview I'm doing. And it's going so wrong. It's the first time I'm talking to this dude. Who, by the way, is an incredible human being. And I'm glad it was him. Because he made it so much easier. And I immediately had to buy Skype credits and see if that worked. But it wasn't working. And then he switched to his phone and tried his phone data, which was working. But then I was panicking because he was spending his own money on phone data so we can have an interview. And it was like a two or three hour interview. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I was actually using the recording and it was bugging. And then he was like, oh, I'm like, hey, I'm just uh, testing the recording. Let me just see if this recorded. If it recorded, we're good. And I'll just continue. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I remember this one time that I gave an interview to this guy and... He didn't record any of it. And in my mind, I'm like, I hope this does not happen to me. Oh, my God. What did I get myself into? And I was so nervous. And it was so early. And I was so sleepy still. (laughs) But I was sweating. And I'm like, what is going on? This is horrible. So that was my very first experience, like, solo interviewing someone. And it was the most panicking, life-threatening thing. Oh, yeah. I still feel that. Yeah, jumping out of the plane was easier for me. Yeah. I feel I absolutely feel that way. And I'm about to approach 50 episodes. And uh, yours is a special one. You're you're 49. The first one was with Kelly Light. She was clear as day. She was great. She had her own mic. She was ready. And my I was so quiet. I couldn't figure out why I was quiet. I would run it through all sorts of programs. And, you know, so that was that was like my first kind of like real stumble getting the sound to be something where people weren't it wasn't so distracting that people would stop listening to the content it wasn't that bad okay i I clearly i i remember listening to the episode is not nearly as good as the sounds from your next episodes but it was not that bad but i understand where you're coming from there was once a time that we recorded an interview in skype had a bug at the time that 
was the weirdest thing ever where the voice would start becoming robotic in the yeah. recording. Uh-huh. And there was no amount of mixing that would save it to a point that sounded normal. So it was just an editing nightmare. Yeah. Speaking of editing Which... nightmares, did you have guests um, who would um, talk um, kind of um, like um, that? Yes. And there's nothing you can do about it nope. because that's so innate from the, the they're used. That's how they think. Yeah. They're processing information. And while they're processing, they have the ums and the ahs and I, I have the so and I'm when I listen to myself and I hear myself say so I'm like, dang it, I'm I'm still yep. not I'm still not over that yet. And I'm always like criticizing myself like I have this bad habit, I have to fix it. But yeah. we, we work with sound, so we are always paying attention to that. Yep. The thing is, when you record an episode for anyone else to hear it, sometimes they don't know why, but they just zoom out of the episode. Most of the times it's because of this ums and the ahs right. and a little background noise that it's kind of there and it's annoying and it just makes the whole experience kind of painful, but you don't know why it's bothering you. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of things we're always looking for. So we make the podcast experience as smooth as possible for yeah. the listeners. Yeah. And you can't, you're right. I mean, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh, I, there you go. I just said, I just did it. Um, I did it again. <laughs> but... What I try to do is I take out, if it's like, um, 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 all the time, I try and take out 80% of them. I don't take that. I don't take out all of them because then that would not just, it would just feel unnatural. Unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. I do the same. I take out the ums. I had someone who would inhale a lot before speaking. Oh yeah. Or exhale at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's so hard because you have to count those inhales and exhales sometimes again, because it's unless you don't make the breathing pauses, it's not natural, but... There's so many, you have to take them out otherwise. And I spent a full afternoon once removing ums and table taps. Like, And the, <laughs> the interesting thing is the person that I, we interviewed that was doing table taps, Every I, I, you notice patterns with people. It's so amusing. So I always try to focus on that so I'm not super frustrated. But every time she would tap her table, it's because she realized something really cool and she was about to say something awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at this sound wave and every time I saw a huge, like super short spike, I'm like, oh, oh there's a nugget there. Mm-hmm. And it didn't fail, but it was so many hours editing. It's, it's insane. Emails. I've, I've learned that I have, here's, I have a, several, several of these kinds of stories. So I will reach out to someone. I'll email them and say, hey, I would mm-hmm. love for you to be on the podcast. And 90 percent of the time maybe a little less um i'll get a fairly quick response either with a yes or a no thanks of the responses almost all of them are yes but the 10 maybe 15 percent of folks who don't respond it's either of, of that group they either never respond or here's this one story so i reached out to someone in August and was like, Hey, I would love for you to be on the podcast. They responded back right away. Oh my God. That's so great. Totally. Let's do it. When do you want to do it? September. Great. September comes around. Hey, tomorrow's our chat. Looking forward to it. Here's some notes do, do, do. and nothing. Silence. Mm-hmm. A month later. Hey, just wanted to follow up. Nothing. 
A month later, nothing. A month later, nothing. In February, I finally, I, I emailed them one more time. And this was my like, I wanted to write, what the fuck? <laughs> but I wrote, hey, just wanted to, this is my last follow-up. Absolutely understand if you've changed your mind. Just, you know, pay me the courtesy of letting me know so I can adjust my schedule and my list. Because I want to, like, keep, I don't want it to be, like, illustrator, 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 illustrator. I wanted there to be a little bit of a balance, like illustrator, mm-hmm. illustrator, designer, illustrator, art director, you know, agent, whatever. So I wanted to, it, it takes a, takes a second, a little effort to sort of square that out. And anyway, this person responds back. Oh my gosh. So, and I was upset. You know, I, I've already said I live, with, I live with depression. So it's any kind of rejection triggers my depression. Mm-hmm. And so if it's a rejection like that, like ghosting, it will really set me off. I'll get upset. I'll get sad. This person wrote back and was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's been so, I've just been so busy. Absolutely. Let's do it. And we're doing it. We're going to record in May. How awful people are with email etiquette is something that I've learned through this podcast. So I was responsible for getting yeses to interviews and just making sure they went through. So what I did is I had this routine of emailing people constantly so they wouldn't forget in a way that it was not too much or annoying, but it was just hopefully as kind as sweet as possible and not just too, you know, I I didn't want to bother anyone, but I wanted to make sure they, it it was still fresh on their minds because I was coordinating sometimes, you know, the time of three or four different people to be on a call. And if it failed, I had to start all over again and it was so painful. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a very small percentage, but when it does happen, it's uh it is a big pain in the butt. It is. It's your whole schedule. Also, what we did back then is I didn't, I always expect everything to go wrong. So I always have contingency plans and contingency plans for contingency plans. Mm-hmm. So we just had a bunch of stuff recorded with yeah. no plan whatsoever when that was going out. Mm-hmm. And that, that meant we always have content. But on the other hand, Sometimes it would also be bad because we had content laying for way too long. And that is also a bit disrespectful to whoever we interviewed sometimes. So it's, it's a fine balance. Yep. It's a very fine balance. We're talking about people. Yeah. I still do this, but I tend to ask a question and then another question and then another question. So I'll be like, mm. so, you know, what did you do then? And how did you feel about it? And mm. what color was the shirt you were wearing? You know, um, and for the most part, in fact, almost every part, every you know, people are just told, fine with that. But I had one person in the middle of the interview stop the interview and was like, and I was like, so tell me about this and this. And they were, he was like, well, can we can we just stop the recording? Yeah, sure. Whoa. You need to not ask me two questions at once. Oh dear lord. You need to, and he said it kind of nicely, but it was more of like it was like. This is what you need to do. You need to ask me one question at a time. Because if you ask me two questions at once, I won't be able to answer both of them fully. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, totally. I still think about that. It was a while ago. It was one of my earlier guests. But it was was a little like, I've I've thought about it ever since. Now, anytime I try and ask questions, I try to keep it to one question. So that's one little mistake. But the other one was with Kevin Eastman of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fame. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) 
I uh, interviewed Kevin. His name is Kevin Eastman. And I then recorded the, the uh, what's it called? The pre-roll, the intro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I called him Peter Laird. Uh-oh. Um, in this episode, I talked to Peter Laird, co-founder of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Peter talks, tells me about how he and Kevin Eastman formed the bup, 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 bup. recorded it, posted it. It went public. Uh-oh. And that morning, I went for a run. I was going to listen to it just to make sure that it, this is kind of how my, like my process. I'll listen to it in the morning um, just to make sure, obviously, that it sounds good or whatever. And I didn't make any mistakes. And <laughs> I was a good mile away from my home. When I heard, hi, I'm talking to Peter Peter Laird today. I was like, holy shit. This is public. I had already emailed him. And I was like, hey, Kevin, just want to let you know it's live. And I'm so excited. This is crazy. Oh, God. I ran so fast coming home. I was just, (laughs) I I like just tumbled through the front door. My wife was like, what's going on? I called him Peter Laird. So I had to record. And I wasn't even at my home. I was, we were at my sister-in-law's home. But I had my stuff with me. Thank God. I had to record it. I had to tell everyone to keep quiet, do like a really quick intro recording. So so there's that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, I did misspell someone's name once, but it was caught before it went uh, online. But yeah. yeah, but I did upload something once that was not. Okay, it was the stupidest mistake ever. You know, in GarageBand, how you have, I forgot the name of the tool, but the thing counting the, the timer, like yeah. TikTok. The, I forgot the, the to metronome? Turn that. Is that what yes, yes, I forgot to turn that off and I exported the episode. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Could you imagine if you were interviewing somebody like Quentin Blake? It's like, I have Quentin Blake on the podcast. Like, it was the worst but fortunately the minute i uploaded it i don't know i have this weird sixth sense that every time i do something really wrong i just panic and it comes to mind what it might be i don't know how to my angel my garden angel i don't know and i immediately click play and i started hearing the freaking metron i'm like my goodness and i re-uploaded no one ever found out yeah no one ever found out but it it, oh the the panic was real oh yeah i'm actually uh, t- starting a new podcast very soon so i will have a lot of wonderful horror stories to share <laughs> i had one person uh, who just got cold feet they were like very important to me through college i'm like i say who this person is but i'll just say that and i reached out to them and they were like oh my gosh it's so great to hear from you it's been so long absolutely this is great they have an assistant, so the so the assistant and I are like scheduling things, and oh, you know, this person's so um, excited, and blah, blah blah. And then a day before the recording, this person emails me and says, "I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't feel comfortable doing podcasts." I was like, All "What right. the hell?" And you know, and I get it. You know, it's I'm nervous. It's my podcast, and I'm freaking nervous all the time. Oh, before I forget, before I forget. You said you're nervous all the time. I'm going to teach you a little hack oh, please that do. works with everything that you feel nervous about that means to you. Oh, and it, it, I didn't create it. I, I stole it from Simon Sinek. And I've been te- pre- preaching that to everyone who yes. ever mentions that. And yep. it's been working. So, you know, when they interview athletes, like high competition athletes, professionals, and you ask them, 
how are you feeling before they race? They never say I'm nervous. They say I'm excited. Okay. And the biological response, the body's biological response to being excited and being nervous is exactly the same thing. Uh-huh. The only difference is if you tell yourself you're excited, it's much more positive than if you tell yourself that you're nervous. And it's going to change the way you do things for real. All right. It's a thing. So if you try to tell yourself, I'm so excited for this, it won't feel as life-threatening and panicky yeah. as you say, as if you were about to say that you're nervous. So try that next time and see if it helps. It helped me a lot. Definitely. My nervousness, though, comes from feeling like uh, what I'm doing isn't worth a damn. Oh, yeah. Even this conversation, I feel like I'm uh, asking the wrong questions, mm. uh, not listening. I'm, I just feel like, you know, I, I just there's this inherent, I don't know where it comes from. Actually, I do know where it comes from. Um, inherent feeling like the other shoe is going to drop, like I'm pretending. <laughs> that's PTSD. Oh yeah. Oh, oh my God. goodness, that's PTSD, and that's so. There's a thing I love. I like. I really love people. I do. By the way, I, PTSD is um, it's a son of a bitch. It, it is. It really is. It is. I've I've been through that a couple yeah. of years ago for a long time, and uh, it it was not. It was not. It's still not easy, but it 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 gets easier with time. I love, I really love people, even though with this whole pandemic situation going on, sometimes I just feel like throwing, throwing my face onto a wall and just like, come on humans, why are you doing this to ourselves? Uh, but I really do love uh, the human race and, and people there. I, I do believe there's more good than bad. Me and too. that's why I loved being, you know, community manager and working with teams so much because I really love what I do. I really love connecting. I, I like, I love teaching. I don't consider myself an expert on anything or, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing you were, you know, asking the wrong questions or saying the wrong things. But mm -hmm. I, I keep hearing that whatever I try to teach to people or when we're having conversations, they're really helpful. So slowly I'm starting to believe that actually I can do some stuff. And because of that, I read a lot of information on how our bodies work biologically and right. hormones and how that whole, you know, mixes together and makes things very normal. And it just, it makes me realize that it's not that people are weird. We're, we're social beings. That's how we're built. We're mm -hmm. built to be social, social, even introverts. We're social animals and we need a society to live and to thrive with. We need each other. And it's so human to think that we are worth nothing. Mm -hmm. And that we're doing everything wrong and everybody's doing everything right, especially with social media where everybody's just showing the best side of everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's another 17-hour-long conversation about the... Oh, yeah. The... We're not even gonna... I'm just... Look at yeah. this can of worms. Please don't open it. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. But, but it's so common. It's so common. And your podcast is great. And you did such a wonderful thing. And you've come so far. Thanks. Sure. You were procrastinated for maybe almost a year. <laughs> I was. But... <laughs> you needed that. I'm doing the same with my own children's book. Mm -hmm. I worked so hard to have it ready to the Bologna Children's Book Fair last year. As Facebook kindly reminds me every time I go in there, like, you were doing this last year. I'm like, uh, shut up. Yep. And I had a huge, uh, I had, I went through a great growth uh, period. And now I look mm -hmm. back and I see all the bad things, all the, not the bad things, but everything that is wrong with the work I did and how I can make it better, which is great. I'm happy that is happening again, because it means I can make it better. 
And I haven't been working on my book for almost a year because in the meantime, I got pregnant and I was exhausted and then I had some health issues and, you know, sometimes it's just you have to take a step back and sometimes procrastinating is recovering and you'll get back to it. And you did. You have your podcast ready. Yeah. I'm still going to work on my book. So mm -hmm. just yeah. people are too tough on themselves. Oh, yeah. I know. It's like I can rip off uh, positive, uh, uplifting advice and insight and tips for other people mm -hmm. all day long, all day long, for days and days. But when it comes for to you? taking my own advice, <clears throat> forget it. I know. That's why, that's why I keep telling people. So if you are your, your best friend, if you're talking to yourself as if you were your own brother or sister or something, mm -hmm. what would you say to yourself? And say it out loud. You know what it is? Imposter syndrome. That's what it is. Yeah. If, almost everybody has it. Absolutely. I mean, we, I, again, this is the 49th episode. Um, my 50th is going to be uh, some kind of special thing. I've sorted out kind of what it's going to be. Um, and, uh, over the months, how many conversations I've had with folks who've talked about that, I've talked about like, just, just draw, just do your thing. Just, you know, don't worry about what social media is doing. Don't worry about this and that. And the other thing, just focus on what makes you happy. You were mentioning, you yeah. mentioned several times tonight, today, um, about the things that make you happy, you know, being with other people, helping other people, drawing, like focus on the things that make you happy to heck with everything else. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's great advice. And so it, that's something I feel like I need to yeah. say. Yeah. And that is so true. Yeah. Without this podcast, there's absolutely no way I would have talked to some of my favorite illustrators of all time. Yeah. S Stephen Kroeniger, Dave McKean, same deal. Yeah. Betsy Lewin. And in Betsy's case, she was like, why don't you come by our brownstone? Yeah. We'll have coffee and cookies and talk. <laughs> so all of that is to say... This is this my podcast has been a, a real source of joy for me. I'm glad, and I'm convinced it would not have happened without you. Well, and my wife, who's there idea, you go. Idea was to begin with support network, yeah, and hard work. It's people think they will never meet their heroes or the people they admire because it's like they're not even real or even people, but they are human yeah. beings, and that's every time I have to reach out to anyone that's. What I always keep in mind, I don't care how much of a star they are. They're a human being just like everybody else. And mm -hmm. that's exactly how you need to treat everybody with love and respect. And yeah, totally. You'd be surprised with the things that you get once you put in the work and the respect. Mm -hmm. So moving on, <laughs> I did want to ask you a little bit about how, I mean, you're, are you guys in lockdown in Portugal? We are. You are in so lockdown. I'm, okay. I'm 37 weeks now. And uh, we are in lockdown. March. Recording like quarantine day 16. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think it's like day 21 or something. Uh, I don't know. I've been. So here's the thing. I. Oh, my God. It's a surreal situation. That's the best word. I think I can can Definitely. come up with to describe it's 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 surreal. When I saw this happening in China and I have friends there, it was all very distant but still frightening. 
And I have this thing when I have to, when I want to do something, if I start, I'm, I'm never giving it up until I'm done with it. Uh So when I started preparing the nursery, I was like, we need to get everything ASAP Mm -hmm. and paint the nursery and do this and do this and do that. And everyone's like, you have the whole pregnancy to do all of that. And I'm like, um, but you know. You have, if, you have the I first trimester when you are actually feeling like you can still walk around, not when you have a, a gigantic basketball under your shirt. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting enough, the first trimester I was uh, I was in bed rest due to oh. some health issues, but it was it was all fine afterward. Okay. But I'm like, we need to get everything done as soon as possible. I'm like, but you have time. I'm like, I have this nagging feeling that it's not really like that. So can you please just do your best with the time that just just please indulge me. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I worked together and we got everything ready. And everybody was like, oh, my God, you have everything so in advance. Yeah, great. And it it took me so much longer. I'm like, yeah, now I can chill because Mm -hmm. uh, when the pandemic started here for real, beginning of this month. So we're now in March 2020. And at the beginning of March, it's when we started having the first few confirmed cases. And I have a lot of friends working at the state hospital. And they call me right away saying, hey. We have confirmed cases here. Mm-hmm. You're pregnant. Stay home. This is going to go into news very soon. So I started confinement early this month. So it's been almost a full month since I've been home. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad. But most people started a couple of weeks ago because it's when the government stated that, hey, okay, emergency state, mm-hmm. everybody stay home. This is serious. Yeah. So it took them two extra weeks-ish. And thankfully... I'm not missing anything for the baby because I was paranoid. <laughs> so I was like, see, see, you call me paranoid. I have everything I need now. Yeah, exactly. uh, so I'm not, I'm not stressing about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the situation is not dire, but it's not reassuring either. You know, we keep having a lot of cases. I was telling you before we started the recording, Portugal has 8 million people living here mm-hmm. and we have close to 8,000 people infected, confirmed. And there are a lot of people still waiting for tests. We don't have tests for everybody. The hospital is deciding who to test and who to not test. That should not be be their decision. Yeah, because they didn't have enough tests. So we don't have enough. We have 1,000 ventilators. 1,400. That's that's just insane. You know, I was thinking about that too. Um, the fact that we're putting these doctors and nurses and first responders in a position yeah. in which they have to decide who yeah. gets the treatment and who doesn't. Yeah. And a year from now, everyone's like, oh, we're going to get back to normal and it's all going to be great. And our leadership, um, I dare not say his name for, for not wanting to fly <laughs> off into a rage. Um, it's going to be better than ever. How deeply are we traumatizing these doctors and nurses permanently yeah in in putting them in that position where they have to go like you can die and you can live yeah i mean how talking uh, about ptsd talk about depression talk about all that how how are you going to get back to normal how is it going to be better than ever when scores of first responders and uh and health professionals are going to be traumatized by this permanently yeah. and they're burning the candle on both ends exactly 
no one goes on vacation. They in here, I'm sure it's even worse in the U.S. because you guys, the numbers there are much worse than here, percentage wise. Yeah, I mean, um, you have eight thousand, you have eight million in your country. I have eight million in my city. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just uh, well, the, uh, well, social media is just making this even worse than it should be because yeah. Well, that, I mean, social media—that's what's very. It's very good at that. It is incredibly good at mm-hmm. that. Anything, it'll make it yeah. far worse than it actually is. And yeah, go ahead. Well, I just—I just, I just it... wanted to quickly say um, before it fell fell out of my head that you may have created a little bit of a monster in that. Um, speaking of Southern Italy and speaking different languages, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be starting another podcast. Oh. And, uh, and speaking of anxieties, so speaking Italian for me is like a real, real problem. Like, uh, you know, I can speak it, but it really spikes my anxieties. And so one positive, and I want to talk a little bit more about other positives in a second about what's going on with the coronavirus is that I've spoken with my cousin in Italy more over the past two weeks than I have over the past two years. Mm-hmm. So we got to chatting and we're going to do a podcast and it's going to be basically conversational Italian to help me conquer my anxiety of speaking a second language. And it's going to be a little bit like a little educational, uh, like numbers or ordering at a restaurant or traveling through Italy and then just sort of speak conversationally about it. Like teaching people Italian? Yeah. Wonderful. That's cute. As much as I'd love to keep talking to you, I feel like we should tie things up but i want to end yeah definitely uh, i on just want to say something about the pandemic though well go ahead so just want to say one thing about the pandemic which is a lot of people might be struggling with depression right now or in anxiety yeah. and that's okay and there are online therapists and people should definitely resort to therapy if they need help mm-hmm. that's not a sign of being weak which is still seen as being weak in many countries, yeah. which really saddens me. Mm-hmm. So if you're not feeling okay about the whole thing, I just want to say that's fine. Yeah. Completely normal. Totally. And you're not anything less than whatever, just because you're not feeling okay. So just look for help, chin up in uh, online calls is the best. I would drink a glass with all of you if I weren't pregnant. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you were in my family, you you know, all the uncles and aunts, eh, drink wine, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just drink wine. <laughs> are you finding, like, there are a few things I'm finding um, or I'm trying to find through this, trying to traverse this, like trying to find hmm. these positive moments. I've never been as focused on the illustration department and on the podcast and on other things. Like, we just started a forum. Like, I've never been as focused on my business as I've as I've been over the past several weeks playing more games with the kids, like things like that. Those are good moments. Are you finding, where are you finding the positivity? That's, that's the question. Great question. There's a, I see a lot of positivity in this. So I am at the very end of my pregnancy. I'm due any minute now, basically. I'm 37 weeks. Yeah, which is we why we should end the podcast right now because I <laughs> Yeah, which I'm feeling fine, by the way, which is great. So I had a rough uh, early pregnancy, but fortunately, everything fell back on track and I've been feeling great. We are fortunate enough that we still are working because my work is remote. I work with Etcher Lab remotely and he works. um, He's a software engineer and he can work remotely 
as well. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. So that means that I'm home. I, I was going to stay home any day now because I'm way too pregnant to walk to my co-work space <laughs> where I work from. Uh -huh. I tell you, come climbing up a few steps is not as easy as it was a few months ago. Yeah. So hard, I, hard to I, oh my goodness, I don't know what lungs are anymore. So I was going to stay home and now I don't have to stay by myself. I have my husband with me. He's still working, but he's here with me. So he's been helping me with some uh, prenatal exercises and such. So yeah. that's been good for bonding. You know, you mentioned Etcher several times, and I, and I kind of feel like I should ask um, in a like 30 second or 60 second nutshell, mm -hmm. what exactly is Etcher? So Etcher is a company that creates uh, art supplies for artists. It started with the bags that I mentioned a while ago with Darren Yao, but now they have, or we have also um, watercolor-specific sketchbooks. We have um, watercolor pans. We have a bunch of different things for artists. And yeah. we are launching a podcast. I'm hosting it uh, after I'm back from maternity leave, so Love late it. this summer, hopefully. And uh, it's, it's going to be a very, very tiny podcast, like 10-minute episode tops. That's the, the goal, at least. And I'm I'm interviewing already a few artists on different fields. And it's all about what drives people to create and why they love what they do. Love it. So it's a burst of productivity yeah. just to start your day. Because our whole motto is we help artists art because the world needs more art. Now more than ever with the pandemic going yeah. on, every time there's a crisis, we need connection. And art is connection. We need artists. And the whole mission of the company, and this is why I love them so much and why I joined them after I quit my job at the Oatly Academy, is I believe in their ethos so much, which is artists are meant to work together. Yeah. Artists are needed in this world. We want to help you make more art through whatever means necessary. And uh, yeah, that's what Etri is. That's great. Um what would be that last little bit of advice from you? Remembering that someone is listening in on this conversation. Don't ever expect to stop struggling with something because the whole secret that I don't know why it's a secret, just people are too afraid to talk about it, is that balance is not a thing you achieve once. It's something you keep on struggling with and keep on fighting to, to keep going. I mean, I've always been, and you can see that on my blog post, I've always worked towards productivity and achieving something. And it's, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint in the sense that you have small achievements over a certain amount of time, you have, but you never have that one big last, it's life, you know, life is a journey. You never get to the place where you desire to be and then be satisfied with it. There will always be more to move towards. Mm -hmm which is great. It gives you a sense of direction. When you're able to achieve what you consider to be a good balance, don't feel bad if you feel like sometimes you're losing it. Keeping the balance is part of the struggle and it's healthy. It's totally fine. It's expected. You're not failing. To learn more about Anya, visit anyamarcos.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com forward slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive a gift, a discount code, and access to short episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com 
For class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.